stand-up comedians, if we had a religion, it would be comedy. Because in comedy, you can have beliefs. I personally believe that the human soul can manifest physically within inside of a laugh. I believe that I follow tenets. Tenets of truth, honesty, and pure buffoonery. And I don't think I'm going too far out of the way saying we also have prophets. George Carlin, Richard Pryor. But our Jesus was a man that had to die so that we could have the most sacred thing possible. Something we have actually taken for granted. This man had to die so that you could say whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted, however you wanted, on stage for the pure enjoyment of others, either to enlighten or to entertain, or in his case, to do both. This man is Lenny Bruce. And in stand-up comedy, our God was a Jew. Welcome to the DTF Podcast. Thank you for coming back and listening. You guys are wonderful. We're going to have a good time today because we, like I said, are talking about what I consider the god of comedy, the god of modern alternative. Everybody has been influenced by this man, knowingly or not, in stand-up comedy is Lenny Bruce. Lenny Bruce, like I said, is the god of comedy. Uh... Now, before I get into it, I kind of want to make a point real quick. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. Stand-up comedy is inherently the most pointless profession ever invented, unless you count, like, panhandling, okay? It really, really doesn't do much for society as a whole. And I thought a lot about this, all right? Because stand-up is equal parts philosopher and clown without doing either job <laughs> at its best, right? Because a, a philosopher will push the zeitgeist of humanity, then steal your money. You know what I mean? But they're at least pushing, you know, the thought of, oh, this is this is what we should think of. Here's like a metaphysical thing, right? And but and then a clown gives you pure buffoonery, just mindless entertainment, and you have to you have to see like this craziness that they give you, and then they steal your money or kill your family. You know what I mean? But stand-ups will pontificate and get you thinking uh, about something uh, real philosophical, you know, s- some comics. That, that will get you thinking, oh, is this, is this what the zeitgeist needs to be pushed through? And then right when you're at the edge of, you know, becoming political or following into a cult or something, they cut the legs out from underneath you and then make a poop joke or talk about pussies or something. Like, it's where they just fart right in the microphone. Like they they take the piss out of their own thing, so they're do they're playing both sides without inherently being either one of them. And I think I think that's a real unique thing to have towards humanities to to question your morality like Socrates, but not be too uh, 
you know, too serious or uh, politicized to where you'll actually be publicly executed like Socrates. Uh, I feel like comics know how to turn on the charm and honk the horn, you know? The <laughs> Anyways, the president's real stupid, right? I feel like we all need to stop going to the banks. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's the court jester. The only person that's able to actually say something and get away with it. That's the only thing that it gives to humanity is to be able to talk about the harsh things in life. The taboo, the, uh, the dark, the, uh, or just the silly and mundane. But to sit around and think about stuff and get people, get people to listen, right? Nothing, nothing helps you get people to listen more like comedy. And I feel like every comic that we're going to talk to and every comic that's come after him uh, has wanted to push, right? Comics want to push, uh, good ones, want to push the boundaries of comedy. And I'm not just saying uh, politically or, uh, you know, it's, it's any comic. Any comic that wants to be a little bit weirder or a little bit darker or a little bit more politicized or a little bit more out there and crazy, right? It, I think everybody stems off of Lenny Bruce because he was the first comic to really get static for what he was saying, and he didn't get clever with it. Um, he didn't try to work within the system, is what I mean by that. He didn't, he didn't play by anybody's rules. He said, no, this is not okay, and actually fought for it. And unfortunately, I think it took its toll on him, and uh, he uh, died. He actually passed away in 1966 at the age of 40. Um, so I feel like I, I, I'm going to take this whole episode to really, really get into Lenny Bruce, and uh, I actually learned a lot doing this episode. I, I was going to put him in a different category of a uh, different episode, and the more I kept researching about him, the more... I really had this enlightened thought of like, holy crap, Lenny Bruce really, really changed everything in comedy. There was, there were so many people. I, I, I honestly couldn't put him even with the best comics that I personally think really changed the game because he changed the game so much. Everybody stemmed off of him, which is insane to think. Even, even comics across the pond in in Britain really stemmed off of him. And uh, we're going to get into all of that, but I, uh, I, re doing research for this really, really kind of gave me a better appreciation for Lenny Bruce. And before I even start all of that, right, before I even uh, get into just sucking his dick for, you know, the next 45 minutes, um, I want to say right off the bat, don't find Lenny Bruce that funny, which is crazy. I appreciate his comedy. I feel like uh, a lot of comics nowadays are falling into that bubble bullshit where this is funny and this is not and we can't understand. Comedy is very subjective, right? There's a lot of people out there I don't find funny, but I, re I, I go out of my way to recognize why people are laughing at and with them, right? Some people are just fucking jokes, all right? There's hacks out there, but I think you can train yourself to know the difference between a hack and the difference between your subjective view of comedy. Lenny Bruce, not a lot of uh, jokes that I 
will sit there and laugh out loud. But I'll tell you one thing. There are a lot of jokes where I'll sit there in awe in how he's able to make it funny for other people and talk about the things, especially when he did. Now let's get into Lenny Bruce, all right? Give you a little backstory of this man. Uh, Lenny Bruce, he grew up uh, in Belmore, New York. He was actually born in uh, New York State, uh, right outside New York City. Uh, and he died of an overdose in 1966 at the age of 40. He lived out in L.A. Um, so that's kind of the span of his life. There's too many people in comedy I don't know what it is that fall into the traps of either addiction or uh, depression or both at the same time and uh, pass away way too early. Uh, I feel like he kind of set the precedent for this of just someone who couldn't deal with his own couldn't deal with his own thoughts and tried to self-medicate through uh, you know unfortunate means. Um, now, the reason that he had so, such a hard time was uh, Lenny Bruce was actually arrested four times for obscenity laws. Now, if you guys don't know what obscenity laws were, it's exactly what it sounds like. You weren't allowed back in the, well, this was back in the 50s, 50s and 60s, you weren't allowed to say certain things. Uh, and <laughs> here's, here's actually what he got arrested for, or at least uh, charged with, all right? Uh, one count. He got charged for just saying the word cocksucker in public, right? He was a public, it was a public forum. That's how they got him. Like, oh, you can't, you can say it, but especially if you're in like a public forum and you're saying that stuff, you can actually get arrested for obscenity laws. Uh, two times he was arrested for the word schmuck. Okay, that's a Yiddish word that I guess means dickhead or something like that. But the word schmuck, like, that's so. <laughs> What's obscene is getting arrested for that, right? Uh, and then the third and fourth time was uh, the, the last uh, two times that he got arrested and really went to court. It was for his whole, whole act, right? It became infamous at those, at those times because he was talking about sex. He was just very candid. He was very much a modern comedian back in the 50s. Uh, he, he stood up and said obscenity like obscenities like schmuck and fuck and cock and all that uh he stood up against that during a time when it was not only legal but more than okay to call somebody nigger which was a i mean i, I it's it's amazing to me how much times have changed and that's part of the reason i, I was a, a little blown back the more research I did because I, I inherently knew this right it was it was the 50s and I I kind of knew of these things the obscenity laws with Lenny Bruce and everything he had to go through and then uh how much racist bile and uh, homophobia and sexism was around but I never quite put those two together for perspective and that's what I kind of want to dive into uh with this because it really I mean it it really shows not only how much fucking balls Lenny had and moral uh, character that he had to fight that system, but also the ability to make those things funny is fucking crazy, right? Um, in uh, 
Now, here's the thing, right? He got arrested, uh, I think the third and fourth time for his act was in San Francisco, right? And he went through this trial. It lasted two years, and uh, he, he got charged, and, it, it last, and then he died in, in 1966 uh, before uh, he, he asked for a retrial, and he died before he could go back to retrial. Here's the thing. He didn't get pardoned until 2003 for his obscenity conviction. That's insane. Uh, I know I know he passed away, uh, so there was real no rush job on it, but for every for everything that he gave it, I'm I'm not going to say the country cuz I feel like that's too pretentious on top of my pretentious cake I'm making right now, but at least for everything he gave the entertainment business, you would have thought that people would have, uh, you know, tried to clear his name. That's it's such an odd, odd thing for somebody to have to fight for, and that was a very real thing. Um, now, the the joke that I want to listen to right now to kind of give some some texture and. Uh, perspective on what I'm talking about is um, it, it was from a it, this actual clip is from uh, the album uh, Let the Buyer Beware. It's kind of like a compilation album, uh, but this performance was back in 1963. Um, now this is one of his more famous bits, and I want to put into perspective that. The, the, the my favorite this is my favorite joke of his based purely on punchlines but in the profound wisdom that comes after it um it is shocking but he come he's doing it during a shocking time and the the last little bit is what i love the most because this joke he did had three things and i'm going to get into those three things after you hear it but he did three things in one joke in the 1960s, all right? This is before the civil rights movement actually went through. So I want you guys to keep that in mind of what he's talking about, right? It's You're basically watching something that would be tough to do today, let alone back in the 1960s. So listen to Lenny Bruce, enjoy, and we'll come right back. Uh, by the way, are there any niggers here tonight? What did he say? My, what the, is he really getting out of his nut? Are there any niggers here tonight? Is he that desperate for shock value? Did he scraped the bottom bound to be that cruel to say, are there any niggers here tonight? Have I ever talked about the Schwartz and they left the room? Or the Moulin Johns or the Yons who placated some southerner by absence of voice when he ranted and raved about the nigger, nigger, niggers? Are there any niggers here? I know I'm working with a nigger. I think I see one nigger couple back there between those two niggers to three kikes. Thank God for the kikes. And two spicks and one mick. We have two spicks, one mick, three kikes, and one spunky, funky, hunky. Any more boogies? Three more sheenies, eight more guineas, six guineas, seven wops, six grease balls. I pass the six dykes, four kikes, and eight niggers. The point... If President Kennedy got on television every day and said, I would like to introduce all the niggers in my cabinet, 
And all the niggers called each other niggers. They oftentimes who but in front of the old phase. And every day you heard nigger, 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 nigger. In the second month, nigger would mean as much as good night or God bless you in your sneeze. Or perhaps as much as I promise I'll hold to nothing but to do so help me God. Nigger would lose its impact and it'd never make any foil nigger cry when he came home from school. Zagornish gives it the power, Jim. That was Lenny Bruce uh, doing, doing his act. And yes, that was pretty harsh. But I'm going to try to put it in perspective uh, and talk about that. Dissect the shit out of it because, man, he was doing that in the 1960s uh, with a really harsh message. And that, that joke did three things, right? First, it protested racism, right? It's very satirical. I mean, he was saying every obscenity possible. Uh, but he also, not only was he protesting racism, but he also at the same time protested political correctness that's based out of fear. Like, oh, you have to be politically correct because if we talk about this, then that makes me that thing. Which are almost two diametrically opposing ideas, right? One thing is built out of malice, the other one's built out of fear, and yet one's a very liberal problem, one's a very conservative problem, at least back in the 60s. And then the the last one is, what I found so profound is I feel like, and I could be reading into this, but I, I really felt this way when I, when I listened to this clip again, is I feel like he predicted the use of the word nigger by black folks to take away the malice and the toxic venom of it, right? Because in the end of it, that was his point. His point was, right or wrong, uh, I believe right, that these words are atrocious, right? He was pointing out every single racial slur or uh, j- just any any bad prejudice word is bad in prejudice because we allow it to be. And he kind of had this theme with all words, but this joke in particular was pointing out that these words hurt very much so, right? And to take away their power if they are treated as as any other word, right? If they if they are twisted like judo. If you take the power that's coming in and you you twist it, you can put it on its back. Is basically what he was saying with the whole, you know, if John F Kennedy if he went on and just, you know, called everybody the n-word then no kid would have to go to school and get called that and then come home crying because it was just put out there as a nothing word. Now, is that, is that possible? I don't know, but I, I do. I, I kind of tried to research this a little bit, and I found that uh, black people calling themselves the N-word as like a loving uh, kind of... Loving word or more communal word um, wasn't actually made real famous until about the 1970s. And Lenny was saying this back in, I mean, this was recorded in 1963. I'm assuming he had bits like this, maybe 1960. I mean, you have to work up to this. So I, I feel like he he was predicting it. I mean, he Lenny Bruce hung out in jazz joints and strip clubs and, uh, you know, kind of the seedier underbelly of the 1960s. 
And that allowed him to live a desegregated life in a life of segregation, right? This was segregated America, and especially he started in the 50s, right? That was segregated beyond all means. And he was living as desegregated a life as you could possibly have. And so he was having very real conversations with his best friends, right? And that, I, I, I feel above all else, his, his ability to not only empathize, but then have very real conversations led to very real thoughts and feelings. And I think that's what he was fighting for. I think this is a good um, good little sample of getting to know him. Because at the beginning of the joke, he's like, uh, you know, I'm going to quote. I apologize. Uh, he said, are there any niggers here? And he's like, I know there's a nigger here. I'm working with him. He just opened up for me, right? So right there, is it shock value? Yes. Is it right? Or you know what? I'm not even say I I do believe it's right. All right, I'm gonna stand behind that. Do I think it's funny? Eh, you know it's. <laughs> ah, I, I think it could be better. But this was the 1950s. He was the first one to do it. So fuck yeah, I'm gonna give him credit. People are laughing in that bit. All right. Um. But that when he points out his friend, his opener, and I I think that shows. N- it's not that shitty thing that I've seen nowadays where it's like, oh, I've got my one black friend, so now I can talk uh, about him and him and them, I see, is what happens. Uh, he's He did it as a, um, let me show you that I have a good relationship with my friend, then talk about us. That is the key thing. I've noticed that hacks, whenever they talk about religion, uh, or not religion, about race or religion, you know what, anything, any topic, okay, hacks and shitty people will talk about them versus us, right? It's them. Let me talk about them. I I have one black friend, so I can talk about them, right? That right there, talking talking about any group of people as if they aren't a part of you is where the problem lies. And I think a lot of comics and a lot of people in general, and I think that's what Lenny Bruce was pointing out in this especially, is that it's not about them. It's about us in general, which is why then later in the joke, he starts pointing out and says WAP and Mick and Chink, like he's saying all of these awful, awful racial slurs to everyone saying we all have these shitty, malice, horrible, venom things that we can and do say to each other, but we're all in this together. So let's take away that poison and suck it out of each other and spit it out because we don't need it because it's about us. The empathy of us is what makes someone, in my mind, not only funnier but more morally superior to anybody else because that's the problem I feel uh, with any any topic is when you start saying them is uh, where you've already lost the battle. And I think Lenny Bruce taught us that in this one bit. Um, and so that that's the morally thing that I wanted to talk about that really shocked me. Joke wise, uh, this Lenny Bruce is the most modern comic 
I've ever listened to from this period. There's there's a lot of, I I think fucking Rich Little and Bob Hope started with them, and those guys couldn't be any more squeaky clean. You know what I mean? Those guys are are fantastic in their own right, but Lenny Bruce was saying stuff that like Bill Hicks was. You know what? Lenny Bruce was saying stuff that Richard Pryor was saying uh, ten. 10 to 20 years later, and still getting crap for. He was saying, and that was in the 50s, right? He was saying stuff in the 50s that 40 years later, uh, or, you know, 20, 30 years later, Bill Hicks would get in trouble for. He said stuff back in the 50s that 40, 50 years later, uh, Louis C.K. and Amy Schumer are getting in trouble for. The dude was so ahead of his time, he almost he, he was so ahead of his time, if you had like a circle, right, where you go ahead of your time, and then you go back all the way through, and the other end of the circle is like just completely out of touch, he somehow straddled the line between ahead of his time and completely out of touch. And that that's an amazing... I don't know. If, you know what? Now that I said that analogy, I don't know if that makes complete sense. What I'm trying to say is there are comics that are ahead of the curve, right? Which is what makes them uh, kind of magnetic, where people are pulled towards them of like, oh, this is where the zeitgeist is going, right? And then there are comics that are so far ahead of the curve that nobody really wants to follow them. It's like, I this is weird. And then you have to like go back 10 or 20 years later and go, oh, that's what they're doing. Now that we're doing that now, look how ahead of the curve he was. Lenny Bruce did both things. He pulled people along, but he pulled people 50 years in the future. That's insane. That's how, that's how amazing his, his comedic ability was, was to just sit there in the pocket and tell it how it is. And he got... In, Got arrested for it, which you know shows <laughs> shows how completely fucked those times were. That he was, I don't know, for he was a voice for the silent. He was a champion for the Constitution. He was a philosopher philosopher for anyone who was against hypocrisy. And, uh, you know, he died. It sucked. Good news, though. He was, uh, he was in a relationship with, uh, Honey Harlow, who is a stripper slash playmate slash entertainer. She was, uh, she lived, I think she lived until early 2000s. And, man, she was a hot piece of ass. I looked up pictures of her, and I'm like, hell, oh, all right. She was a good old lady. Uh, just thought I'd say that, because I, I was like, all right, he... He also gave me hope in that. Lenny Bruce was, you know, he, he was a good-looking dude, but he was also, you know, this Jewish nerd that, you know, wasn't the star athlete back when it actually counted in the 50s. It wasn't wasn't this whole nerd culture that was has been uh, spawned up in my adulthood. Lenny Bruce was a complete nerd fighting for the underdogs, and he managed to score this hot stripper with big cans and a hot brain able to, you know, go along with him in this, in this journey. And yeah, he was, he was the first com he was the first nerd comic to go like, Hey, it can be done. You can not only be funny, but you can be moral. You can be smart. You can be enlightening and polarizing. And you can at, 
also get the hot chick that'll let you, you know, fuck different parts of her. Anyways, I don't know where I was going. I'm just real happy that he was able to uh, get the girl, you know? that's I, I view comics as such beta men trying to be alpha dogs, and uh, Lenny Bruce was the first. And he showed that you could be born a beta and uh, talk your way into the alpha crew, which is quite amazing to me. Um, now we're going to go to another clip real quick uh, out of talking about his uh, his wife's boobs. Um, he was on uh, The Tonight Show with Steve Allen. He was the uh, one that started that. And uh, this is going to be a clip from that interview. Uh, it's a real short short clip but i i want to i want to play it so that way you can hear you can hear what messages he was saying to the broader audience because the the clip i played before was very much um recorded in like a a cd club which is where he was but even though he went on national television he didn't stop trying to be profound and polarizing as much as he could now there were censors so they wouldn't play it but steve allen was behind him and as you'll see he he really really tried to push push as hard as he could on national television to try to get out to a wider audience his own beliefs right to places that probably wouldn't ever take him which is kind of where he got his stardom is that he was really even pushing the bounds of television back when you know even even people back here just to put it in context even back uh during this show this was i believe 1959 he he was doing this material and saying these things back when sitcoms and stuff wouldn't even show couples sleeping in the same bed. Like, they slept in different beds, and then they also, like, had full gowns with, like, the weird caps and the balls, you know what I mean? Like, it was very Puritan, and he's trying to trying to seep out the counterculture, right? He was a, he was a beatnik slash hippie before... Those things were well known. So uh, give this a listen. We'll come back and we'll uh, we'll dissect the shit out of it a little bit more and get get more into Lenny Bruce, the god of stand up comedy. We get uh, a great deal of mail from our viewers commenting on our sketches, <laughs> indicating their likes and dislikes, and whether you realize it or not, there is just about no joke or sketch particularly of a satirical sort that will not offend somebody, you know, a cowboy or a drunk or somebody. But we have, I don't want to equate those two already, I can see the cards are coming in. So tell you how we are going to face the problem. We have decided that once a month, we will book a comedian who will offend everybody. <laughs> Fair enough? All right, and then we'll get it all over with, you see? A man who will disturb a great many social groups watching right now. Because, as I'm serious, his satirical comments refer to many things not ordinarily discussed on television, and it serves you right. Now, that way, the NBC mail department will know in advance, right, that the complaints are coming in, they hire three or four extra girls, they get the stamped answers ready, we're very sorry, we didn't mean, you know, that sort of thing. 
And then the whole thing is handled with neatness and dispatch. So, ladies and gentlemen, here is a very shocking comedian, the most shocking comedian of our time, a young man who is skyrocketing to fame, Lenny Bruce. Here he is. Will Elizabeth Taylor become bar mitzvahed? Promise continuity, I'll behave myself. I'll do all the lines that we rehearsed, you know. That's the thing, you know. I have a, a reputation for being sort of controversial and irreverent and also the semantic bear trap of bad taste. And actually, I do have, and I will always be accused of bad taste by the people who eat in restaurants to reserve service, you know, that kind of scene to anyone, yeah. But you might be interested in how I became offensive. <laughs> Uh, it like, started in school with um, uh, drinking and uh, I was really, I was like a real depressed kid, and, you know, and seven, eight years old and I'd really get juiced and get out of my way. And uh, so the teacher would really get bugged, you know, with, with me singing and carrying on uh, and calling Columbus a fink and, uh, and, and boosting Aaron Burr and all that. Then smoking. I don't know if you can see it. Can you see that from here? I've got like a... This tattoo here. I'll fix it. Oh. Can you see it? I, uh... See, I smoked Marlboros and I was six years old and it grew up. Offend. <laughs> uh, there's a funny kind of thing. It's, uh... There's semantics. There are words that offend me. Uh... Let's see. Governor Farbus. Segregation. Offend me. Uh, uh, nighttime television offends me. Some nighttime television. <laughs> uh, the shows that exploit homosexuality, narcotics, and prostitution under the guise of helping the societal problem. And the, except like for a few shows. There's one guy on the coast who's got like a nutty sense of humor, you know. His name is Paul Coates. And he found out, they, like there were kids that eight and nine years old that was sniffing airplane glue <laughs> to, uh, to get high on, you know. And uh, so I had sort of a fantasy how it happened. The kid is alone in his room, and it's Saturday. The child is played by George McCready. <laughs> well, let's see now. I'm all alone in the room, and it's Saturday. Mother's away, and... What'll I do that's good and hostile? Well, let's see, I'll, uh, I'll make an airplane, that's good. I'll make a Lancaster, good structural design. I'll get the ball to it, I'll sand it here. I'll cut that off, I'll get the struts now. Now I'll get a little airplane glue, I'll rub it on the rag and... Uh, <laughs> that was Lenny Bruce on the Steve Allen Show. And, uh, man, he, uh... The, the part that I, that I found uh, quite quite wonderful was his uh, bad taste and what offends me speech. And to go on television in the 1959, uh, national television at the height of your career, and talk about what offends you uh, that is completely against the social norm, it was quite amazing. I mean, he said he said to a national 1950s audience, he said, 
What offends me most is, uh, what, you said racial segregation, right? That was huge. Uh, the fascism of some gover- uh, governors. He said uh, what, uh, when uh, the exploitation of homosexualities, narcotics, and prostitution under the guise of helping the societal problem. I mean, he's saying this, basically... It, it, it was on the Steve Allen show, the Tonight Show. It's like Johnny Carson, Jay Leno. Can you imagine any comic doing anything like that coming out during, uh, say, right after Trayvon Martin got shot? Can you imagine any comic coming out and saying something that profound to a national audience? There was a there was, and he didn't just say this on uh, national television for shock value. There were other. Interviews I've seen of him where he would say, you know, other things that offend him. He would say racial segregation, stuff like that. Another one that kind of shocked me that he said that I was uh, taken back by and very much enjoyed that he said it. In an interview, he said what offends him is judges who make jokes with prisoners who are right before them. And he just takes this long pause and just says, how cruel, how cruel is that? The man had so much empathy that I think it got to him later in life, which is why he was self-medicating, I believe. But, the, I mean, the voice, he, he voiced all of this in front of the, la- the largest TV crowd possible. Steve, it's The Tonight Show. I mean, it, it was big even back then. And he's, he's giving a voice to the voiceless, to minorities, you know, mainly black people, gay and lesbian uh, communists, anti-war activists, and all in, all in front of families sitting around the TV, or at least, you know, adults at l- night giving the loudest voice possible. Uh, I don't think every comic needs to do that at all. Uh, but the fact that he did that, you know, and also did it with a wink and a smile. He was charming. Uh, and if you ever if you ever look this up, I know I gave the clip for you to listen to, but you can look this up uh, online. Uh, you can find the – there's a great documentary where I'm getting a couple of these clips called uh, No More Tears. It's a Lenny Bruce documentary, uh, and it's uh, – oh, I'm sorry, Without Tears is a Lenny Bruce documentary, and it has a lot of old clips, and the the consistency of his beliefs – were is astounding he really he really walked the walk he was uh i believe if he lived a little bit longer he might have been uh a civil rights activist in whatever capacity he could and that's the thing i don't even think in the civil rights movement they kind of wanted lenny bruce to be a part of it because he was such an outsider you know on one side he was speaking about equality you know out of one side of his mouth and the other side of his mouth he was talking about eating pussy i don't think uh, you know, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King wanted to be associated necessarily with Lenny Bruce. You know, he he had the uh, the purity of being you know pastor and everything like that, and then having Lenny Bruce come in here and be like, ah, these fucking cocksuckers. I don't know why I made him from Boston. He's not even close to that. But uh, yeah, he was such an outsider. He was the first outsider. And the the thing is, I feel like every comic nowadays is derivative of Lenny Bruce. Like, nobody's doing anything that he didn't already champion. And if you're thinking, well, this person does that thing, okay, well, then I'll redefine 
what I said. Every comic is either derivative of Lenny Bruce or Andy Kaufman. There's no other two, all right? Every, and if you need a third, right? If you want to, for some reason, count uh, uh, women as doing something different, Joan Rivers, right? The, those three, the, the, there's nobody doing anything that's not that in some way. And even Joan Rivers was quoted in saying the only reason that she was ever doing her thing, so I'm going to take that back, right? There's two. There's Lenny Bruce, there's Andy Kaufman. Uh, and Andy Kaufman only gets away with that because Lenny Bruce pioneered doing, you know, act outs and being able to do and say whatever you want on stage. All right. Before that, it was all one liners, all the uh, kind of the cat skills comedians, just, uh, you know, Henny Youngman type stuff, uh, rich little impressions and one liners, Bob Hope one liners. It was all, you know, turn of phrases and little clever quips. Nobody was actually saying or doing anything really other than straight entertainer and then. Lenny Bruce comes along and has a message behind it, which is, you know, it, it can be it can be quite uh, pretentious at times. I get it on stage. Sometimes I'm like, all right, get to the joke, right? You gotta, you always gotta be funnier than the point that you're making. Which uh, later in life became Lenny Bruce's downfall. He was fighting so hard against obscenity laws and for free speech that he lost the laughter, which is a lot of people's critiques. But I think because of that, that he gets lost in that. That was the last, you know, year, year or two of his life where he would, he was famous for like bringing up affidavits and stuff on stage and just talking about his court cases and how absurd it is that you can't say this, that in front of adults uh, who agreed to pay to go and hear this. And he got caught up in that. And I think people outside, maybe not so much inside of comedy, but outside of comedy, I think they pigeonhole him of like, oh, he was a tortured soul who kind of lost it and then died of a drug overdose. But he was really pushing, he was really, really pushing for everyone's free speech. I mean, how many, how many dirty jokes do you hear on The Tonight Show nowadays, you know, by guests or, I mean, look at... Uh, you, you know, musicians doing, uh, doing and saying whatever they want in their music, and he really fought for anybody uh, in the entertainment business, really, to be able to go after uh, their own beliefs and spew what the, you know the, the free speech should be exactly that free speech. And he. What what I, I I keep reiterating this because this is the part that shocked me the most is that he talked about racism in a time before, really before Martin Luther King, really a time before uh, JFK, and really a time before LBJ, right? In the 1950s, this was, I mean, this was the the height, like the 40s maybe, with but it was during World War II, so you had desegregation at least amongst soldiers in some capacity the the army was the army and navy and everything were still segregated but you still had to win the war together right then the 50s come it is the height of segregation and he's going out to these jazz and strip joints people just wanting to see tits and ass and he's really giving a message right he developed this act in the 50s takes 10 years normally you know this is what they say it takes 10 years to 
really develop an act. So that means in, you know, 1959, which when he goes on the Steve Allen show, that means he was developing it, you know, early 50s. He's saying all this shit. I, I, I can't reiterate that enough of how of how amazing it is that he he was able to not only just have the balls enough to say it, but to get away with it, to be funny, to have people really think. Uh, he's the reason that I, what I said at the beginning, right, said that comedy is the most useless form of work anybody could ever have. But he's the person, I think, put meaning behind what we do. All right, not to say that if you do one-liners and stuff, it's meaningless. I'm saying he was the one that said, if you want to change your community, I'm not going to say the world. It's, again, too pretentious. But if you want to change your community, you can do it with jokes. And I'm not going to say he really contributed to the civil rights movement. I'm not going to say that he really tore down all the walls of the obscenity laws. And But he, he fought. He did it, and he did it in a public forum, and he became fam- He became famous off of being funny, even though he was uh, kind of ostracized. Not only at the beginning of his career, he was very taboo. People wanted to kind of stay away from him, but the, at the end, when he started unfortunately derailing, people started ostracizing him and not want to listen, but he fought to the bitter end, and that's, that's what was great. And not only about racism, but he talked about homosexuality in a time where, like, electroshock therapy and lobotomies were used to, like, quote-unquote cure gay urges. I mean, I, I remember when I first started, right? You know what? Take that back. I remember in the 90s how tough it was. So my best friend is gay, and... It was so hard for... I grew up in Kansas. It was so hard for him to come out to me. And then it was so hard for me to really, really accept it. Like, I I didn't ostracize him. I always stuck, stood behind him because he was my best friend. But I, it took me a while to understand and empathize and get behind him. And I was one of the... the I was his best friend. You know what I mean? I hate to say this, but I was one of the good ones, right? You got death threats and shit. And this was back in early 2000s, honestly, right? This was 2004. This was 50 50 to 40 years after Lenny Bruce was talking about this, right? Gay marriage just was passed last year, and or two years ago, technically. (coughs) And... And Lenny Bruce was talking about this in the 50s. He talked about drug usage and legalization at the onset of mandatory prison time. That's another one that's crazy. I mean, in this clip that I just showed you, he was talking about, uh, at the very end, talking about kids sniffing glue. And then he goes on to talk about, uh, you know, it's not that bad. Getting high is not that crazy, right? He's saying this. At the, at, again, at the onset of mandatory prison time, the Narcotics Control Act was in 1956. That was the act that made it illegal to uh, own certain amounts of uh, weed, cocaine, heroin, and stuff like that. And if you got caught and arrested, the, the minimum 
time to serve in prison was two to ten years. That was the act that did it, right? That was the law that was set, the mandatory time. And that was in 1956, and he's going on national television and trying to drum up conversation of, like, this is not right, right? Now, unfortunately, he died of a heroin overdose, which hopefully doesn't negate the real conversation he was trying to have of, like, narcotics are not bad. It is the addiction within somebody that is bad. People can do, it's just like drinking, right? People can drink without being alcoholics, but alcoholics can't drink because they are just an addictive person, right? That That's the thing you need to fix. And he said that uh, when he said exploiting narcotics under the guise of uh, helping the societal problem. And he, he also talked about communism. And in parts of his act, uh, not, I couldn't find a clip, but trust me, in parts of his act, he talked about communism as not an inherently bad thing. Again, he was not a he was not a us versus them person. He was a very much a just us, right? He talked about humanity in general. It is us together. And he, he was a huge um anti-war. He was against the Vietnam. There's a few jokes where he, he really tries to sympathize with the Vietnamese and he does it in a way where he's also not tearing down the soldiers going over there. He was very much anti-war, not anti-American. But it was a very, I mean, very difficult time to do that, right? Because he was doing this at the onset of the Vietnam War, or Vietnam Conflict, sorry. And he was doing it on the onset of that, but right off the heels of McCarthyism, right? McCarthy... And uh, may have, like, completely torn down your credibility, called you a pinko commie just for saying any anti-war stuff. And if it went too far, Hoover would have had them locked up. And yet he was able to dip and dodge and, you know, really <laughs> charm his way out of a corner with all this. It, I don't think people give enough. I'm trying to put as much perspective. I, I know I'm hammering the point home, and I hope you all are interested in what I'm trying to really put into perspective because that's what really dug its way not only in my brain but into my soul is that he was doing all of this that's already hard to do now right we think that we're so much more enlightened in 2016 and he was doing all of this pointing out the hypocrisy the venom the malice and going out on a limb and he was doing this back during this time right i give all these points to show what he was doing in the context of like what atmosphere he was doing this in it it was simply amazing and i listen i've been doing comedy 10 years now right i talk about comedy endlessly which is why you're listening to me because this is all this is, i love it i love talking about comedy and i i tell you right now out of the thousands and thousands of hours i've talked researched and lived comedy I didn't have anyone bring up how profoundly Lenny Bruce changed comedy, all right? It's usually offhanded, hey, he fought for, you know, obscenity laws, then he lost his funny and died, right? It's very much that narrative, and I hope that I'm, I'm changing the narrative 
to what it should be that he really was he's our god he's he started everything right he didn't start jokes but he started the ability to joke about anything which is where comedy should be that's the only place that it should live right you should be able to talk about uh you know butt fucking a corpse if you want to it, i I don't know if I'll ever find that funny, but you should be able to talk about butt-fucking a corpse, and then in the next breath, talk about how your shampoo bottle opens funny. You know what I mean? Everything should be allowed to be talked about because it's when it's silenced is when the fascists win. When you silence a voice, then you create a pocket to where that opinion doesn't have any power, right? And the only power that you have in this world is your your own thoughts and feelings, right? When you silence a voice, you silence the ability for sympathy and empathy, which is where then you get the us versus them. If you don't talk to somebody from, quote-unquote, that group, you don't realize their humanity. You don't realize that they, they aren't a they. They are a the. They are an us. And I think think that was a a deep deep rooted feeling he had in his gut that he expressed and i'd like to think it was knowingly because i've seen so much doing this podcast i've seen so many clips and interviews that he was so empathetic and to be honest he makes me want to do two things he makes me really want to be a more empathetic person and try harder i i feel like if that man can do and say and feel what he did in that time with that much blowback and I'm sure death threats, then I can do a little bit more in a time that's way safer and the and because he gave me the ability to say whatever I want, I should be able to take that privilege and expand upon it. I really feel that way. And the second thing he makes me want to do is heroin because, man, he had a hot wife and... <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't know. Heroin might be pretty cool. I feel like uh, I feel like enough people I've known have died because of it, so there's got to be something cool about it, you know? <laughs> it's like a motorcycle. Everybody knows that you're going to die on it, but it's so fucking cool. Heroin and motorcycles. That's what I'm going to do from now on, guys. Uh it's going to be my last comedy album. It's also going to be my first comedy album. Look for it on store shelves in Goodwill because you can't buy albums anywhere anymore. Yeah, man. Lenny Bruce, not only one of the greats, but I think the great. The guy that you got to give all the credit to. He he started everything, and unfortunately he died too soon, so we couldn't see where he would go, but it's... uh. I'm very, I'm very glad that I looked into him more, and uh, I, I have a deeper appreciation for what he did, not only for comedy but for this country in general, uh, and not only for this country. You know what? There, there I go. I'm saying this country. It's not an us versus them. All right, what he did for humanity in his own little way, and uh, I hope this this gave you any pers- any amount of perspective that I got after researching him, I hope that you have an inkling of that uh, to take away. Because, um, man, not only one of the great comics, but I think one of the greater people um, out there that has ever been. So, 
we're going to leave uh, with this thought. Uh, not only thank you for listening to uh, the DTF podcast. Uh, next episode will be a little bit more or a little bit less heavy-handed. But I do want to leave you with this. If whatever you do, if you're not a comic, whatever you do, find in your career or your life a way to express yourself. Because it is the better people in the world, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Lenny Bruce, those people express their thoughts and voices and they had to do that because there were too many silenced voices so whatever you do in life express yourself to the fullest try to have as much empathy as possible and for god's sakes while you're talking fucking try to be funny that's all i ask i love you all very much thank you all for listening to the dtf podcast enjoy your day see you next time Because the truth is all there is You can hide